Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. How are we doing? How are we doing? Good? Good. Glad to see you all. Uh, glad you're here. Um, when I was 17 years old, I was living about 30 minutes east of Atlanta, and uh, so a bunch of friends of mine were going to camp at a lake in North Georgia, and uh, so I was going to join them, and uh, one of my best friends in high school was a guy named Doug Beatty, and every time Doug Beatty and I got together, uh, we were just ridiculous. And um, Doug asked if he could hitch a ride with me to go to the lake, and so I said, sure. And, um, and that meant that Doug was going to sit in the passenger seat and flip through my CD book the whole time and, and put in CDs, and we were going to sing at the top of our lungs. Um, these was, this was the days before the smartphone, and so uh, before you left to go somewhere, you didn't know where you were going, you'd go to the computer. Um, we did have computers in those days, and, um, and you, would, you would go to MapQuest, and you would put in where you were going, right? And then you would print off your directions, and you'd bring those directions along, and, uh, and hopefully you'd pay really close attention to those things uh, as you're going where you're going. Well... So I did that, and um, we, in order to get to the lake in North Georgia, we had to go uh, into Atlanta and then get on I-75, which goes north to south in Georgia, and uh, we had to go north on I-75. Well, um, we had been going down the road for about two hours, and of course, singing at the top of our lungs, being ridiculous when I noticed blue lights uh, in my rearview mirror. And um, I had a, a bit of a lead foot in those days, and so getting pulled over wasn't anything new for me. And um, so we, we pull over on the side of I-75, and cars are rushing by, and we turn the music down, and I'm waiting for uh, this police officer to come uh, have a chat with me. And um, of course, the first thing he asks is, do you know how fast you're going? I said, I guess pretty fast. And um, he says, uh, where are you headed? I said, I tell him the, the name of the lake that we're going to. And he says, his eyebrows kind of go up and he says, son, do you know you're going south on I-75? <laughs> I said, no, sir, I did not know that. <laughs> um, we had driven an hour and a half in the wrong direction and I never once noticed a sign. 
I, I never once had a second thought about that we might be going uh, somewhere that we shouldn't. And, and here's what I learned that day. It doesn't matter how confident that you are that you're headed in the right direction. If you get distracted along the way, you can take a wrong turn and have no idea that you're going about 75 miles an hour <laughs> in the wrong direction. See, I never forgot where I was supposed to be going. I just lost focus along the way, and it cost me. It was a pretty expensive ticket. Um, the Christian life is like this. You might not forget that it's all about Jesus, but if you lose focus along the way, you can take a wrong turn and get on a wrong road altogether and not realize it, and it can cost you dearly. That's what our passage is actually going to be talking about today. Um, so pray with me, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Father in heaven, I think you have a lot to say today. I know you do. Um, and I need help desperately um, by your Holy Spirit to, to communicate in a way that we can understand, that we can grasp what you're saying right here in your word. Lord, we trust your word, that it's powerful, every single verse. And, um, and so, Lord, it's with that confidence that we come and we open up your word today and we ask you to use it to make changes in us um, forever. And so, would you do that by the power of your Holy Spirit we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, if you don't have a Bible, um, we'll have the verses on the screen. Um, but we also have some in the back. If you'd like a Bible, you can raise your hand. Uh, we, we pass these out every week. Caleb's got some in his hand, and he'll bring one to you. Um, if you don't want to raise your hand right now, you can grab a Bible on your way out. Um, and those are a gift to you. So, if you don't have a Bible would like one. We love to hand Bibles out. Um, so, 2 Timothy chapter 2, that's where we are. We've been working through the book of uh, 1 first, first Timothy and now 2 Timothy, and it's uh, Paul writing letters to uh, this young pastor, younger pastor, Timothy. Paul is, in 2 Timothy, he is um, near the end of his life. He's in prison, and he's awaiting trial. And he's, he's writing to Timothy uh, because Paul has made it to the end of his life with uh, his faith still strong. He's, he's made it to the end of his life still loving Jesus and living for Jesus. And he wants desperately for Timothy to do the same. And so he's writing this letter to Timothy to encourage him um, to that end. He wants to see Timothy get to his destination without taking a wrong turn, in other words. Um, and we pick this up in verse 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, where um, Paul tells us, and I'm gonna, the way that I'm going to kind of outline this sermon is through five questions that this passage is going to answer for us. The first question that this passage is going to answer for us is, what must we focus on in order to endure? You're going to see the word endure a couple times in this passage. That's really what Paul is getting at. He's wanting Timothy to endure. He's wanting Timothy to, to be able to get through whatever trials 
uh, and things that he's going to have to face in his life and, he's, and get to the end of his life still loving Jesus and living for Jesus. So what must we focus on in order to endure? He starts with these words in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Now, um, he's, he's, when he says remember, he, he, he means this word actually in the Greek, it means to hold in mind, to set your mind on. It's, it's not like he's just saying, uh, don't forget Jesus. He doesn't have a scenario in mind where uh, Timothy wakes up one morning and he forgets who died for the sins of the world. That's not what Paul's getting at here. He's getting at, he's saying to Timothy, in the midst of all that you're doing, which throughout this letter, we've heard a lot about the things that Timothy is to be doing, the things that he is doing. He's, he's guarding his doctrine. He's holding firm to the faith. He's making disciples. He's passing on what, he has been, uh, what he's been given by Paul. He's passing that on to the next generation so that they can pass it on to the next generation. So, so as he's doing all this ministry, right, he says, don't stop setting your mind on Jesus. That's what this is getting at. The word, the definition of the Greek word means um, to hold in memory, to keep in mind, to be mindful of. And so this is what he is getting at. He's telling Timothy, if you're going to endure, if you're going to get to the end, then this is what you must do. You must remember, you must set your mind on Continually set your mind on Jesus Christ. Notice that it is a particular Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. This isn't just any Jesus. And and, and I say that because, you know, there are many versions of Jesus out there. This is a very specific Jesus. It's the one true Jesus, the historic Jesus, the Jesus that grew up in Nazareth, and he was the son of Mary, and he learned carpentry from Joseph, and he grew up to be a carpenter, and he went out and he preached that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and that all should repent and believe the gospel, and he lived a perfectly righteous life, and he obeyed the law, fulfilled the law completely. He, he satisfied the law's demands, and then he went to the cross. He, he was wrongly accused, and then he went to the cross, and he was murdered. He was killed, brutally murdered. Why? Not, not because that just happened to happen. No, he went to the cross on purpose. It was his mission all along. It's why he came to earth. If, if, you, if you're new to all this and you don't know what, what it is that Jesus is all about, this is it. He came to seek and to save the lost He came to earth to win people to himself, to restore people who had been separated from God by our sins. He he, he came to win them back to God, to provide a sacrifice, to make a payment for sin. Because our sin deserves hell. Our sin is wicked and evil. We have rejected the God who created us. Think of the audacity. And so he goes to the cross. He hangs on the cross. And on the cross, it says that he became sin. He became our sin. He he took our sin upon himself, absorbed it in his body, and then paid the penalty for all of our sin there on the cross. And he died there. 
because the penalty of sin is death. And he was buried, but he didn't stay buried because on the third day he rose from the dead. It's this Jesus, it's this Jesus and no other that we're to remember. You know, many people out there, they'll say that they believe in Jesus, but when you dig a little bit, they have created a Jesus to fit themselves. They believe in a Jesus that is divorced from his words. And once you remove Jesus from his word, it's no longer Jesus. That's not a Jesus who can save you. This is the one true Jesus risen from the dead. He calls him the offspring of David. I wanted to get into this so badly. There's so much here. I had pages (laughs) that I had to delete because I don't have time. Um, what he is getting at when he says offspring of David is that this is the Jewish Messiah. This is the Jesus that the entire Old Testament scriptures are moving toward, pointing toward. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He's the offspring of David. That means he's the Messiah. He he isn't some new thing that came out of the blue. That He is the one that God, from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God, as he's pronouncing the curse, he starts with the serpent and he says that the, the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, will bruise or crush the serpent's head. It's the proto-evangelium. It's the first gospel in the Bible. And, and, and that starts a rescue mission from page number three <laughs> that continues throughout the whole book and comes to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That's what he's getting at when he says, offspring of David. And then he says, as preached in my gospel. Now, Um, there's so much packed into that. (laughs) But here's something I want to highlight about Paul's gospel. Um, When Paul preached the gospel, central to his understanding of this gospel was what some theologians have called the exchanged life. And, And what that means is that by belief in Jesus Christ... Our sin is transferred to Jesus, and then he dies for our sin on the cross. And there's another exchange. His righteousness is transferred to us, and we get credited with his righteousness. But it goes deeper than that. It goes way deeper than that. To the point where Paul would say... It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So it isn't just about our justification. It is also about our sanctification, this exchange of lives. Here's the way that Paul puts it in in Colossians chapter 1, verses 25 through 27. We'll look at it together. Paul says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And he's referring there to the full gospel 
The mystery, now he's still talking about this full gospel, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And here here he's going to solve it for us. He's going to boil it all down, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what blew Paul's mind when he thought about the gospel. Christ in us. This is our justification. And it is also how we live out any of the Christian life. Any of it. If the Christian life is merely a change of legal standing before God, but then we're left to our own strength to try and live out the Christian faith, we are not going to see a whole lot of change in our lives. And unfortunately, that's the extent of many Christians' understanding, which would also explain why we don't see a lot more transformation in lives. The Christian life is far more glorious than mere imitation of Christ. Paul, I mean, I'm sorry, Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter 1, 1 4 that we are partakers of the divine nature. That word partakers of the divine nature, it can also be translated participants. Participants in the divine nature. Life transformation or or you could use the word sanctification, is only possible because of Christ in us. In the book, Living in Union with Christ, New Testament scholar Grant Macaskill wrote that if we rightly understand Paul's theology all through the New Testament, then, quote, all talk of the Christian moral life must begin and end with Paul's statement, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and must understand the work of the Holy Spirit rightly in relation to Christ's presence. What he's saying there is that maybe we know the theology that you you have the Holy Spirit, but you aren't understanding what that means in practice. The Spirit is Christ's Spirit. You have the presence of Christ given to you, dwelling in you the moment you believe. And it is this that is the key to all of life's transformation. Magasil goes on to explain this more fully. He says that sinners need an alien righteousness. That just means a righteousness that's outside of ourselves, right? An alien righteousness that extends beyond justification to include sanctification. And listen, this is the part I love. We need the righteousness of Christ to inhabit our limbs lips, and neurons if we are to live and think in a way that honors God. We need Christ to press his righteousness down into our limbs, out of our bodies. We need him to work his righteousness into us and through us. That is how we live the Christian life. This is Paul's understanding of the gospel. It is foundational. So when Paul says, remember Jesus Christ as preached in my gospel, he's including this in his mind. This idea gets fleshed out further in Colossians 3. I've I've got to move through this quickly. Let's look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. He says, 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, when Paul says, Christ who is your life, he means that there has been an exchange of identity for Christians. Your entire old self, not just your guilt. Yes, your guilt is included in that. But your entire old self, Jesus took to the cross. This is what the Bible says. He took your entire old self to the cross and you were crucified with Christ. This is big stuff, I know. Don't, don't worry if this is, some of this is going over your head. That's okay. This is really big, really deep spiritual things. But pray for revelation in this because this is massive. This is life transforming. So when Paul says, remember Jesus, I think, I think, based upon what he preaches in his gospel over and over again, that what is included in this is that we are aware of the very presence of Christ in us, empowering us for all of the Christian life. And I think that awareness of his presence in us, awareness of this exchange of lives, is fundamental to seeing, to to having the faith that is required to access the grace or the power to live out this Christian life. Is that making sense? So, when he says, remember Jesus, he isn't saying something different than he said in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. He's saying, set your mind on Christ, who is your life now. You see that? That's how we get to the end of our lives, still loving Jesus and living for Jesus the way Paul did. So, second question. Why is it so hard to do this? Why is it so hard to stay focused on Jesus? Look at verse 9 with me. He says, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. And here's, here's the answer. Why is it so hard? It's hard to remain focused on Jesus because we live in a world that rejects him. We live in a broken world. The world wasn't meant to be this way. When Adam and Eve fell, when they sinned in the garden, everything changed in the world. The sin brought a curse. And and Paul is experiencing the results of that. What had Paul done to deserve prison? Was he going around and physically beating people and telling them they had to believe in Jesus? No. What had he done? He had simply gone out and preached that there was the offer of forgiveness of sins for anyone who would believe the good news about Jesus Christ. And he gets thrown in prison. This isn't the first time either. Over and over again, he suffers persecution. He suffers because he has preached that Jesus is who he said he was. 
And that to believe in him would result in new life. And you've seen it too, if you've been a follower of Jesus for very long, that the, the world doesn't, doesn't take well to Jesus. And many of you have experienced that in your own workplaces and by friends or bosses or co-workers, you've been rejected because you identify with Jesus. You understand that this world is broken and, and, and it's not right, right? But it's, it's not just for that reason that it's so hard to stay focused on Jesus. Um, the brokenness isn't just out there, is it? It's in here too, isn't it? So even though the Spirit of Christ has been given to us in His his very presence and dwells our bodies, we still have what the Bible refers to as the flesh, which is broken. And you and I know, if you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, that if left to your own devices, you will drift from Jesus. If we're not careful, we will get distracted and lose our way. We need, as... Paul said in the very first verse of this chapter to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And if you're still walking with Jesus today, it is because you have been strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, because left to your own devices, you'll drift from him. If we, and we have a part to play in this, right? We're not passive in this. The Bible talks about our responsibility along with his sovereignty over our salvation. And so we have a responsibility. We need to fight to, to, to keep our minds set on Jesus, who is our life, or we will get distracted along the way. We will so easily, and I have my own stories to tell of it, we will so easily get distracted by silly, empty, soul-shriveling distractions. And what we set our minds on determines who we become. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that, that the mind set on the, the Spirit is life and peace. So we need to fight for this. Fight for this. We need to fight to, to, to push back the darkness that's within our own souls, that's, causing, that, that's always there pulling us at, so that we want to drift away from Jesus. Third question I want to answer with this text is, what gives us power over this darkness? Notice in verse 9, that he finishes by saying, he's suffering, um, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. I love it. He's imprisoned, but the Bible isn't. That's Paul's perspective. He's like, I might be chained up, but I'm still preaching the gospel to whoever's got to bring me my food. Here's what Paul is getting at. God's word drives back the darkness in this world. Paul was chained up because the world didn't want him spreading the good news about Jesus. But even when they put him in prison, he kept sharing the gospel and the kingdom of God continued to advance. Did you know that every single time darkness tries to tighten its grip on Christians, the light spreads? Every time. It happens in the book of Acts. If you read through the book of Acts, you're going to see it over and over again. Darkness is going to 
tighten its grip, and light spreads. It, it, it's happened all through the world. It happened in China when, when China decided to close its borders to Christian missionaries and make Christianity illegal. You know what happened? Light spread. The church exploded under persecution. The word of God is not bound. Darkness cannot overcome light. Have you, have, have you ever turned on a flashlight in a dark room and watched darkness come over and just swallow that? It doesn't ever work that way, does it? The word of God turns God's enemies into his servants. Paul knew this firsthand. Paul was Christianity's number one enemy. Nobody was worse than Paul. He was called Saul then. He was going around imprisoning Christians, having them murdered. And God pierced that darkness with the gospel and turned his enemy into his servant. It's incredible what his word can do. And God's word does that not only out in the world, but also in our own souls. The word of God, the gospel, is the power of God to drive back the darkness inside you. So, let me just encourage you to do what Paul did. Unleash God's word into your soul. How do you do that? Well, soak in his word. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Pull it apart. Chew on it. Be like a tree planted beside a stream that can weather any storm. Here's the way that Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 puts it. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, all the time, if you're awake, be thinking about, be talking about the gospel as much as you can. Be talking about the word of God, chewing on it as much as you can. How many times... Have I stumbled to the edge of the waters of God's word, hardly able to lift my head and come away an hour later a new man, refreshed by the cool waters of God's word? This is what happens when we come to God's word, rightly we come to Jesus. These are, did you know that he is called, Jesus is called by John, the Word of God? He is called the Word? When we come to the Scriptures to see Christ, what he does is he, he, he refills us with his life. Christ who is your life. He says, I have an infinite supply, take some. And he pours it into you. So do not let this present darkness get you down. The word of God is not bound. And no matter what happens out there, God's word will continue to go forth and accomplish the thing for which he sent it. And no matter what's happening in you, God's word can pierce through it. And no matter what sin has you in its chains, God's word can set you free 
Because the truth sets people free. Go to God's word. It is your power against the darkness. Fourth question I want to ask and answer is what happens when we focus on Jesus? Look at verse 10. He says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's what happens when we set our minds, focus our minds on Jesus who is our life. He strengthens us to endure whatever hardships we must endure in this life, including those hardships which come as a result of sharing the gospel and identifying with Christ. But more than just strengthen us to endure, when we set our minds on Jesus, we remember what, that, what this is all for. He came to seek and to save the lost. He has a people that, that were chosen before the foundation of the world, it says in Ephesians 1.4. He has a people that when they hear... This, when the Bible says, it says, for the sake of the elect, some translations say, for the sake of those chosen. And here's what this is getting at. It's talking about a people that when they hear the gospel, the good news, God is going to do a miracle in their heart and they will repent and turn from their sin and believe the gospel. That's what this is getting at. Um, and, and, and I think when Paul thought about this doctrine, some people think that a doctrine of election, we should just kind of ignore that because it discourages mission. I don't think it did for Paul. I think just the opposite happened for Paul. I think when, when he thought about the fact that God had chosen people before the foundation of the world, that, that that actually encouraged mission for him. It actually increased his confidence to go out and share the gospel because he knew that, it, that in a world where it's impossible for anyone to believe this about Jesus Christ, that there would be people who would hear it and repent and believe. And so he says... I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Because why, why, why would he endure everything for their sake? Not, because, not just because he loved them while he did, but because he loved Jesus. So when he says, I endure everything, I mean, think about what Paul's getting at here. He's talking about shipwreck. He's talking about being whipped. He's talking about multiple imprisonments. He's talking about being stoned. I mean, this is a man who truly can say, I endure everything. He says, I do it for the sake of the elect. He is, he is doing it so that Jesus Christ can receive the reward for his suffering. When Jesus died on the cross, he did it to, to purchase for himself a people that will be his for eternity. The Bible calls those people the bride of Christ. He did it to win, to purchase a people who would be holy and blameless before him for all of eternity. And so Paul says, I endure everything for their sake, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So let me ask you, do you think about the people around you who still don't know Jesus? Do you have a passion to see them one to Christ Are you willing to be the one who, lets, who tells them about his love for them? 
Final question I, I want to answer. What if we don't focus on Jesus? And this is, uh, we're going to look at verses 11 through 13. What if we don't focus on Jesus? Paul says, The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. The saying is trustworthy. These were the days, keep in mind, when Paul's writing this to Timothy, before the New Testament was what's called canonized, put together. And so they had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New Testament. What they had was they had letters written by the apostles that were being passed around to the different churches, right? And they had a lot of things that were being passed around orally, sayings that were uh, memorable and packed with truth, right? And so this is one of those sayings that was being passed around, and, and Paul gives his apostolic stamp of approval. This is a trustworthy saying, the thing that you're hearing. He says, pay attention to this one. And this saying, um, it, it begins with an encouragement and then ends with a warning. So let's, let's look at it a little bit closer. Um, the first part is the encouragement. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. Now, I've already, I spent a good bit of time in my first point because of this saying, because I knew we were coming here. So I'm not, I'm not going to spend a bunch more time on this. But, but now you see what Paul is getting at. If we have died with him, then we will also live with him. His life is infused into those who have believed in him and been united with him in his death. Does that make sense? If we have died with him, we will also live with him. And so just to kind of hammer that home, Galatians 2, 19 through 20, we'll look at that together. For through the law, Paul says, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the exchanged life in two verses. And this is what he's getting at. This is how the Christian life is possible. The Spirit of Christ, Christ's very presence, gives us the power to walk in newness of life. And so if you and I endure, as it says in verse 12, if we make it to the end of our lives still loving Jesus and living for Jesus, it will be because he got us there, because of his life. Nobody is going to get a round of applause because of the great job we did. It's all going to be, it's going to be all praise to Christ. You will be rewarded for sure based upon the way that you live for Christ, but it will be all praise to Christ. And every reward you get, you're going to look at it and say, I can't believe I am getting this for what you did in me. If we've died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we're going to reign with him. But if we endure, it's all because of Jesus. It's all Jesus. And then look at the, the second part of this uh, passage, the warning. He says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. And I've talked about that in length in another sermon, so I'm not going to go in too much depth here, but Jesus promises this. 
These are, this is coming straight from the words of Jesus. If you deny me before men, I also will deny you before the Father in heaven. Those are, whew, make you shiver, right? Some of the Bible ought to make you shiver or else you're not reading it right. If you're looking for a Bible that never makes you tremble a little bit, you've come to the wrong place. This Word of God is full of warnings. And they're meant to make us tremble a little bit. And this is one of those. But listen, with that, I also want to follow this up by saying, this is not talking about it. You have one opportunity, and at work, somebody brings up Christianity, and you shrink back in fear, and you don't speak up. Now you're lost forever. That's not what this is saying. I mean, look at Peter who denied Jesus three times, and what did Jesus do? He came to him and he restored him. But Jesus also finished well. I'm sorry, Peter. Finished well. Jesus did too. <laughs> but Peter finished well. He, he, after being restored, he went to live a life, a bold life, of identification with Jesus. And and church history tells us he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same way as his master. If we deny him, means if we drift away to the point that we no longer love him and live for him, then he will deny us. You must finish with your faith intact. You must. And the Bible gives us many, many of, of warnings like this. But He gives you the power to do it. You're not left to your own strength. And this isn't something that you do by gritting your teeth By an act of the will, it's done by faith. Galatians 3 talks about this. You receive the Spirit by faith, and the Spirit works through you by faith. Keep believing. Keep trusting Jesus, and you will endure to the end. And you will endure through whatever you must endure. Then what does it say? Why does it say, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Here's the way that I understand this. Um, if we are faithless, I, I tell you that to mean that we have lost faith. We have denied him. We have drifted to the point that our faith is no more. He remains faithful. In other words, if that is the case, Jesus is not to blame for that. We are. He remains faithful, and he adds, for he cannot deny himself. And this gets back to what we've been saying all along. If you are truly in Christ, you are one with Him. You've been connected to Him. His life is inside you, and you are hidden inside Him. And so, you cannot deny Him because He will keep you to the end. He cannot deny himself, and so he cannot deny you any more than he can deny his own self. That's how connected to Christ you and I are. So if you drift away from Christ, 
Because you get distracted by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things, and you end up walking away from Him in the end, it does not mean that you were saved and you lost your salvation. It means you were never saved to begin with. But if you're truly born again, if Christ is in you, then you will make it to the end of your life still loving Jesus and living for him because you're part of him and he cannot deny himself. So church, hear the encouragement and the warning. And remember Jesus. Set your mind on Jesus. Remember the very presence of Jesus inside you. Keep fighting the fight of faith and know that it was Jesus who saved you. It's Jesus who empowers you to live a holy life. It's Jesus who will use you to win others to himself. It is Jesus who will get you to the end so that you can endure to the end. So set your mind on Jesus because what you set your mind on determines who you become. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that the seeds that are right now resting on hearts would start to go in. And and Lord, that you would bear fruit in our lives by your word. Oh God, protect us from all the distractions that await us outside these doors and before we even get out these doors. God, help us now to begin to do this work to set our minds on things above, to set our minds on you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that our lives are hidden in you and that you are our very life. Thank you that you make the Christian life possible. We praise you for this, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, paying the price for us, doing all that we could never have done so that we could be saved, so that we could live with you now in relationship with you now and into eternity. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.